Welcome to F is for Film, and our guests today are Indiana Bell and Josiah Allen. And the film is The Recordist. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having us. And you guys are talking to us live from, is it Sydney or Adelaide? We are in, in Adelaide, South Australia. Yes, yes, yes. How far is that from Sydney? It's about a four-hour flight, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we're right down the bottom. And often we're forgotten in, in the scheme of Australia. <laughs> it's been great during COVID. <laughs> Luckiest places in the world now. I was going to say that must be a good thing right now. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, we're very lucky in South Australia. We, uh, we've, we've had it pretty good. We've had a good run in terms of uh, COVID. So hopefully we can remain forgotten for a little while. That's right. <laughs> long may it rain and long may it continue. Yes. I'm going to say you won't be forgotten with this film. The recordist is quite a beautiful little achievement. I have to say, I was taken by the mood you created, the the look of the film, the dark humor, and the sort of creepy atmosphere and 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 and, and surprising, shocking ending. Really, for me, and I won't. I don't want to give any spoilers away here, but it's quite. How would you guys describe your film? How would you synopsize it for an audience without without a spoiler? So it's a kind of a quirky drama thriller about a film sound recordist who he overhears an actress having an affair on set and uses the recording to blackmail her. That's all I'll say. It's got a very quirky vibe to it. Yes, it does. Yes, it definitely does. So to begin with, let's talk about the performances. Your lead actor, Andrew, who's the recordist, brings an unnerving quality of humor and good, good nature to something that's ultimately rather dark. And Amy, your lead actress, uh, or your lead character, you know, it's played by someone who, who gives you a very, very subtle performance. It gives you lots of understanding without a lot of dialogue, really. She doesn't have that much dialogue, but she manages to give you a very full, full, full performance. Talk about collaborating with these actors and what, which, what it was like to work with each one of them. Well, we had worked with Brendan Rock, who plays Andrew, previously on another short film we did called Cool Connect. And we'd seen him in another short film before that, and we just thought he was amazing. So we, yeah, we've worked with him once before, but but ne- he was never actually on screen. He was he was on a phone call the whole time, so he was basically voice acting for our previous film. And we desperately wanted to put him on screen and work with him again. So it sounds terrible to say, and I said this to him when I gave him the script. I was like, "This is written for you, but like, don't take this the wrong way," <laughs> because it's quite quite a uh, creepy character. But I, he's. It, you know, couldn't be further from the character itself in terms of his actual real life personality. But he basically with Brendan, we really talked about, we didn't want to do a kind of really stereotypical, you know, creepy dude who's like, just like very brooding and, and, you know, and dark and awkward. We wanted like a very charming, like sociable guy who loves a good chat. And, you know, it kind of like slips through the gaps in terms of who you would who you would flag as, you know, yeah. um, someone to watch out for. Like, basically, it's that whole kind of thing of, you know, sound recorders are such a vital part of of filmmaking and such an important part on set, but they often do get forgotten because they're kind of in their own little world, taking care of their own little thing and kind of skirting around the action on set and just, like, trying to get keep out of the way of everyone else. So, yeah, we really – we talked with Brendan a lot about how we wanted to create this very, like, sociopathic, charming character who, you know, smiles a lot and, you know, who you can kind of feel a bit torn with. Like, right, we wanted yeah. the audience to go, 
maybe maybe he's not that bad. Like maybe we're watching a guy that's you know he's okay. And then as the just misunderstood a little bit. Yeah, yeah right. he's just like a little bit odd. Like maybe he's just a bit odd. But then as the film progresses, of course, you know we kind of get let further and further into his world and realize, oh wow, this guy's actually he's actually horrible and he extremely <laughs> selfish and very kind of like cunning and calculated. So yeah, we, we did get some, some feedback in the early stages of the film of people kind of saying, Oh, like, I don't know, like his character, I kind of, I kind of liked him, but I don't. And we said, that's perfect. That's what we actually wanted. So. We, we had some people who, and this is, I guess, completely valid, but were kind of struggling with the fact that on paper, this man is doing such horrible things, but they actually quite liked the character. And, and, you know, I think we were getting some feedback saying maybe we should lessen that, but that's kind of our favourite aspect of it. I think that's what is scary about, you know, people like this in real life is that they have to blend in. The world is largely, it's not a bunch of villainous, evil people running around it's people who can fit in mm. in society right. you can have a conversation with them and you can often feel something's not quite right in the conversation i just had but i know i can't put my finger on it but i know something wasn't right mm. and that's what we knew that brendan could pull off he could pull off you know again with no spoilers where it goes later on yes but in the early stages such a kind person in mm, real life yeah. we knew he could kind of imbue this this at least outwardly creepy kindness because yeah. he's just so good yeah and so jordan cowan who plays amy we this is our first time working with her on this film but we saw her in another short film and went oh my gosh this this woman's amazing and we need to work with her and so she actually lives interstate but happened to be down around christmas time in back in adelaide and so she was like yep yeah, i'm jumping on like she was game for it which was awesome and we really wanted her character to be kind of the the grounded character in the film the you know the character who would respond you know the way that normal humans non-sociopaths would respond <laughs> you know what I mean so she's you know a young up-and-coming actress who is you know basically just trying to make it in the industry and at first you know uh, Andrew doesn't even kind of flag on her radar he's just kind of you know he's a soundie and so it isn't really until he makes a remark about a tattoo that she has that she thinks oh he's actually paying attention to me and this is a bit odd so yeah she really embodies like yeah the kind of the audience in the film she's the the real life person the grounded character and Jordan does that so well because she's able to tell a story simply with her face and her eyes and with yeah she doesn't have very many lines in the film at all but we get a huge sense of how she's feeling throughout it just purely from her her face no she does amazing screen acting and that is something that you know is not always you know the easiest thing to achieve and speaking of acting i wanted to know how the two of you collaborate as directors as co-directors well first of all we've been very very lucky we both met studying film at university and Kind of just by fluke, we were put into some group assignments and just early on worked out, yep, we've got very similar taste. I think we have the bonus of kind of the best of both worlds with co-directing. So Indiana writes the script, so she's the one who's coming up with these awesome concepts. And she gets to, you know, be the protector of what she has written. So she gets to come out of it come at it as the writer-director. 
And I get the other version of directing, which is, you know, you normally get given a script that, you know, you haven't written and then you kind of, I guess, adapt and adjust it from the page to screen. So we kind of get to both come at it, I guess, in some ways, protecting our points of view, Mm. which all happens in pre-production. But fundamentally, we both have really the same taste. So hopefully by the time we get on set, we're fairly, you know, in sync and working on the same stuff. And then in cases of emergency is Mm. how I like to put it. So when it's the end of the day and you're hustling to, you know, you're behind on the schedule and you're hustling to get the last few shots. I think that's when we can separate to, I'll start to lean a bit more towards, you know, rushing the camera department Mm. and work on visuals. And Indiana will, we've already talked about everything and Indiana will go and work more with the actors. So hopefully for 95% of the day, hopefully it doesn't seem like there's a separation. Mm. But I think, yeah, in case of emergency, we get to split the load, which is fantastic, which is an awesome benefit to co-directing. It's a great, uh, great combination of things. And, you know, speaking of your, your work, working together, I mean, I understand that the inspiration for this project emerges from your experiences together. Can you explain a bit about that? Um, so, yeah, I guess the, the genesis of this film came back in early 2019, I think it was, when yeah. we were on another set. And it was this opportunity that we were given to be on, to be on a set and work with like a, a world-class crew who have, you know, been on so many massive films and we were feeling extremely overwhelmed. And there was the soundie there who was this lovely, lovely man. And he... Or so you thought. he was micing us up because they were filming a behind the scenes documentary of the shoot itself so we were wearing lapel mics which I've never worn one in my life and he basically just warned us at the start of the day like this will be on all day because we're shooting a behind the scenes documentary of you guys working on set like don't forget you're wearing it (laughs) and I kind of joked saying you know I bet that happens all the time and he just said oh like you have no idea like some of the things I have overheard. And it was kind of this really interesting conversation that we had with him because he's worked with so many, you know, big names and lots of celebrities, even in advertising. And and he... And of course, being a professional, he didn't give names, of course. But he... Very proud of him, very grateful for that. Yeah. That's right. That's Um, right. But he... uh, It it was just an interesting conversation because it, it kind of brought up this idea of this kind of really sacred bond between sound recordist and actor or talent and I kind of thought oh you know that would make a uh, that would make a funny comedy like you know uh, a soundie overhears something that he didn't mean to and he's caught up in this thing that you know it's just you know this big farcical kind of comedy and then the more we thought about it though we thought actually these guys hold quite a bit of power like you know that material that they might overhear or they might even record could make or break careers of you know, really prominent people. And so then we thought, oh, that's actually, a, that goes into thriller territory, that goes into drama thriller territory. Mm. So we thought that's a bit more of an interesting route to go down. And so that was basically where the idea started. And at, at the the end of the shoot day that we had with this lovely soundie, I said, I'm, you know, I'm going to write a script about this. And uh, and then so we did. Yeah, so that's where the, the whole genesis of the thing came from. But soundies are lovely. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing. So it, it's a, such an intimate relationship and such an essential relationship, but at its best, it should be almost invisible. And that is a, a, a strange thing about it. Yeah. And we were talking about this earlier, to your point, when you think about the, the documentary, The Jinx, which was about Robert Durst, his whole case blew up because he forgot that he was miked and went yeah. confessing to himself off camera, which is fascinating and became this, you know, wound up in jail finally after almost 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, isn't it? That seems like something out of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yet, yet that's true life. And so back to, you know, back to the film, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me was the fact that Andrew, the only time he was the only, only time he was not wearing headphones was when he was with Amy. Every other mm-hmm. time he had his headphones on. Was that intentional yeah. or was that something that just occurred? Well, we wanted the headphones to be part of his, like, his costume, I suppose, for the entire film because mm. he's so obsessed with sound. And we wanted sound to be almost like a, I don't know what you call it, a, a, I guess like a kink for him. Yeah. And Right. So that's where, of course, where his obsession with Amy comes in and, and her voice, and that's where, I won't say any more, but that's where the movie kind of goes. So, yeah, I think that... That came out of, yeah, I, I guess a, she, she's a replacement for his headphones. She's the replacement for that, that, that kink yeah. that he has for, for sound. Got it. And speaking of sound, your, your, your sound, the sound mix in this film is incredible from the ASMR mixing in the beginning, the natural sound, the techno elements. Can you talk to me about the entire, and sound is essentially a third character here. Can you talk about uh, your entire strategy for sound from beginning to end? Well, we've always been, you know, big believers in sound making most of the film. That's right. And so we, because because we're young, poor filmmakers, we didn't have any money to <laughs> hire one. So we, we did the sound ourselves and it took quite a long time. But we, yeah, we really wanted it to be a really rich soundscape because we knew, you know, this is a film about sound. We need to make the sound be really immersive. That's right. And we, f- we fail in that department on a film about sound. Yeah. We've really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not so not so well done. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, we, we wanted to kind of incorporate the the ASMR elements because, you know, Andy has this this yeah, this kink for sound and he's he's watching ASMR and listening to ASMR at the very beginning of the film. And so we thought it would be interesting to kind of see that throughout the movie as well. And then also we kind of had this running theme of of birds and and birds being mentioned by Andy, but also in the tape recordings of women's voices that are included in the film as well. Yes. And so we wanted birds to kind of be seated throughout the soundscape as well, because it's that whole idea of, you know, beauty in the voice and beauty in the sound of, of a creature or an animal. And yeah, finding beauty in 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 the sound of everyday things, I suppose. And you can kind of add a really interesting psychological thing to the audience. So we've seen the ASMR at the opening of the film and, you know, you right. can go way too far, but it was interesting kind of having a fiddling with what elements we could bring back throughout the film that even if the audience doesn't go, oh, that's a sound from the ASMR, mm. you know, we're seeing the character of Andy on screen kind of be a functional human at certain points, but we've seen the behaviour that he, you know, what he does behind closed doors. So it really kind of hopefully adds a background element that, you know, hopefully. An uneasiness. Yeah. An, an uneasiness around him. It does many things. It's very, very evocative, as I say, for me, 
the sound definitely functions as a third character. And did you have much of this thought out before the shoot? Or did, did all of this occur in post? Or was it a combination? I think it was a combination. We, we talked a lot about the ASMR stuff and seeding that through, yeah, in pre-production when we were kind of um, mapping out the film. But yeah, as, as we were doing post, we kind of, we, we did a base layer of sound and we realised that it needed more and it needed more and it needed more and it, and it got to a level where the soundscape is so rich and has so many different layers and so much going on that we thought, okay, it's at the right point now and it needs <laughs> it needs to sound as good to the audience as sound does to Andy, you know what I mean? Like we really need it to be so rich. So, yeah, I guess it was a bit of trial and error in post as well that we realised, okay, this needs to be a very full sound mix. Yeah, I think I think it's the ASMR element itself is what was was kind of experimented with the most in post mm. because going in we always went yep yeah, you know film about sound has to be very rich sound but you could very quickly go too far mm. with the asmr as well yeah you had to kind of keep track of right this has to be an uncomfortable background element this isn't all about directly asmr mm. so yeah and a lot of things there's there's some voiceovers throughout it mm. and those were you know you could quickly go too far mm. into kind of cartoony territory but again relating back to asmr they had to have kind of a uncomfortable sexual vibe to them so yeah it was yes it was our most interesting post sound experience experience for sure yeah that that seductive voice is the, is is the in, in a way it's the inner voice that's directing andrew's decisions mm. yeah that's right or an influencing them because he's whenever he hears he seems to be triggered by this voice whether it's imagined or real i'm, I'm not sure but i I'm, I'm assuming it's coming from some in a well of his personality well we we kind of like this idea of a bit of ambiguity around the the voices mm. um, that are seated throughout the film with yes. our explanation for them if i if i go into that then it will spoil the ending of the film but we've enjoyed hearing different people's perspectives on you know, are they real? Like, where are they coming from? Who are they? Things of the past. Yeah. So we've got we've got our own for them, but we've always liked them. echoes of past adventures. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, we've always enjoyed kind of those those kind of things that spark a bit of conversation after watching a movie. I mean, you guys have definitely created this fascinating character who's got these layers of insecurity and dissatisfaction, and who's developed this sort of twisted, smug code uh to overcome what he what he you know he refers to himself as being often overlooked mm. how would you describe his overall psyche well we talked we talked a lot about andrew and he he changed a lot we started with the idea of like we really wanted to tell a story about a sociopath and and it, and it be an anti-hero success story so this horrible horrible guy who does horrible things but in the end of the film wins we just found that more interesting than him being punished or taught a lesson mm. in, in a short film form. It just felt more fun to kind of dabble with that. Andrew is this guy who has spent a lot of his life being overlooked and has kind of found his way into this industry where he's in a job where he can watch people all the time and listen to people all of the time. And I think a lot of his charm and charisma comes from learning how people act. It's kind of that whole sociopath thing where chatting and having conversation and making friends and all that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily come naturally to those people. They have to 
you know, find those social cues from watching movies or people watching. So that's basically what we like this idea of him learning how to navigate life through watching how other people do it from the shadows of of the corner of a set. Yeah, no, that really came through. Yeah, yeah. So we, we like the idea of him having grown into this kind of fake personality where he is able to make conversation, he is able to go through everyday life, you know, an unassuming kind of friendly man who might be just a little bit odd, when in actuality he's quite cunning and calculated mm. and very, you know, behind closed doors has very strange behaviours. So, yeah, that's basically where that came from. And we we created a few little backstories for him in terms of his childhood and he makes a mention of his mother in one of the scenes in the film and how his mother's voice is something that helped him you know, through yeah. everyday life. So we kind of created this a bit of this right. story about that being the seed of his obsession with sound is this kind of Freudian. <laughs> yeah, very Freudian. <laughs> with his mother. But um, that, that was all just fun, fun frills. But fun, but fun is the word. <laughs> fun is definitely the word because some of the conversations just boiled down to, okay, a, you know, we, we want drama, so we want it to have a foot in reality but also this character in real life for sure would have these you know be able to fit in in society but you can argue very quickly okay he's a sound recordist why do we escalate to the kind of heightened movie version where we're then having him kind of you know essentially monologue Mm. for a whole scene Mm. and i guess the answer is you have to let go of some aspects because that is a completely valid version of the film, but we wanted to have a fun scene where we could, you know, just have fun with a kind of heightened character. So, yeah, yeah it was a big of, bit of back and forwards between... Mm. And a balance between making it way too villainous and cartoonish uh, right. uh, versus, you know, way too stiff and, you know, realistic and kind of not yeah. very fun. So, yeah. And I, I think, again, Brennan's innate humor kind of found the right balance in in driving through that that path. Awesome, awesome. This character of Andrew also, for me, is a bit of a commentary about a lot of the way a lot of us are living now, which is that we are living through and gaining, in many cases, what we want through uh, di- by digital means, whether that's through social media or other things, whether that's people committing crimes, you know, creating romantic lives or living behind avatars. Mm. I don't know if that was your intention, but I definitely felt that this gave a very strong cu- cultural commentary on the moment we're in right now. Well, yeah, I think that kind of, that wasn't something that we talked about beforehand, but it kind of came out of that by accident and is very true in terms of, yeah, us us finding our company and social stimulation, you know, not, not through physical contact uh, or relationships with people, but rather digitally that all kind of came as a bit of an accident yeah but one thing that we did talk about which we thought flavored the film a little bit was the whole kind of backdrop of the me too stuff that's happened in the film industry mm. you know women being targeted in terms of their roles in the in the film industry and we kind of liked how we didn't go super deep into that area because you 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 could if you wanted to like really make it a statement on on the me too stuff but we we thought that's that's being explored a lot at the moment. What if we, rather than tell the story of you know a victim in that circumstance or a perpetrator, why don't we tell the story of like a third person who's 
this opportunistic onlooker who sees this situation happening and uses it, you know, to their own advantage. So we thought, oh, we could go into this really big thing. You know, we could go way too far into the Me Too stuff and just it could just expand tenfold or we could keep it really contained to this one character, this one guy who, you know, and, and, and just has the backdrop of the Me Too stuff to flavour it a little bit but not but not go too deeply into that situation. That's right. It's an, it's an important topic to talk about, but this film just wasn't going to be yeah. the one to do it. Unfortunately, this stuff exists. Mm. So it kind of comes with a built-in drama mm. of the longer we could hold off from revealing, you know, mm. exactly what Andy is about, the longer, again, unfortunately, the audience has this built-in tension of, oh, my gosh, where An is this going? Of- of where it will go based on on all of the Me Too stuff that's currently happening and has been happening over the last few years. So we liked how that also kind of flavoured the film as well and how that came out, I guess, more subtly uh, in, the, in the final product. I think it worked very, very well. And I have one last question about music. Beethoven suddenly was an eerie and, you know, surprising element too. What was that choice all about? Two reasons. One, because we're poor. <laughs> we're poor and we, we, <laughs> we can only afford that, you know. Yeah. Which you're making virtue of poverty, clearly, as all filmmakers must. Yeah, that was one reason. But we we really liked the idea of the music happens in this scene that's basically an Andrew monologue for a, the longest scene in the film and a good chunk of the movie. And so we liked this idea of making it, making a statement with the music in the background and making it quite theatrical so that people don't watch the film and go, he wouldn't do this in real life. People watch the film and go, oh, I know what I'm watching. I'm watching a villain, you know, monologuing right. in a really fun, in a really fun kind of tense way. So this is his theatrical moment. Yeah, this is his like time to shine. So we kind of, we start the, the scene with him mentioning Beethoven and then it also ends with his mention of Beethoven again so and then the Beethoven kind of warps into the next scene and yeah we just we just thought it was yeah for two reasons one you know money necessity and two yeah to add this kind of theatrical villainous flair to this this long monologue scene and and give the audience that cue of oh I'm watching I'm not really watching a real character doing a real thing I'm watching I'm watching a film and I'm watching a villain monologue. And it worked so very well. And that is why I put a circle around that because I enjoyed that choice very, very much. (laughs) Absolutely. I want to ask you what, what, what's coming next for you guys? Well, we've got a few things on the boil. What our, our huge desire is and has been for a long time, which I'm sure every single filmmaker uh, our age wants to do is to do a feature. So we're kind of working on a couple of scripts at the moment that are very low budget, micro budget feature ideas that, we're trying to work out how we could we could pull it off, you know, with a small amount of funding if we can get it and, and some of our own funds. And yeah, so that's where we're headed at the moment because we're really itching to do that. But it's it's such a, a difficult thing to do on a low budget. So we have to be really particular about our scripting choices from the start. But COVID, as horrible as it has been, has, I guess, a... Silver lining. silver lining is that we've been able to, we've had a lot of inside time to be talking these ideas out and Indy's been able to get quite a lot of writing done. So yes, fingers crossed. And question, any any particular genre that you want to mention, just because we know that a lot of film people are going to be listening to this podcast. So if you want to give them a few clues, 
Well, we... We're, we're, we're tossing up between... I don't want you to tell your stories yet. Anything you might want to share, though. We've, we've, I've got a couple of scripts on the go. One of them is uh, in the, a kind of indie thriller territory. But again, it's got a bit of a, a quirky, unrealistic twist to it. And then another one that I'm currently working on is a bit more of a, a quirky drama without the thriller elements, a very meta kind of fun drama. So everything we want to do... We want to kind of keep carrying through our love of, of comedy and quirkiness and, and give it something really individual feeling because we started, you know, we started out at uni especially doing comedy films because they were so much easier to do with no money and it didn't really matter what it, what it looked like, you know, as long as, you know, you had some funny actors and a funny script. We went to uni, we, went, we studied with a lot of very funny people yeah. so kind of naturally. It's very fortunate. Yeah, 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 it was very lucky. So we we still have a huge love for that, but you know the films that I love to watch, I, I usually tend to be thrillers. And so yeah, that's the kind of territory that we're going down. We want to retain this love of quirkiness and our love of comedy, but um, I, I think I think a lot of aspects. I think the tone of the recordist is very much mm. the line that we are trying to go down. Mm. So. Yes, there's variation in kind of the two or three scripts that yeah. Indy's working on at the moment. But I think, yeah, they, they fundamentally have that kind of level of quirkiness and are in quite a similar vein. Mm. Well, I think that I would say for anybody who's going to see these in the future that The Recordus is a great calling card. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this film and how much I've enjoyed talking to the two of you. Oh, thank you so Thanks much. so much for having us. Great to talk to you. And best of luck at uh, Holly Shorts. Fingers crossed. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, November should be a fun month for, for many reasons. Yes, yes we're very excited. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you, you so much thanks for having for chatting us. To us.